CBS News presents A Dance with Death, a special news report on the growing problem of juvenile narcotics addiction. Now, with the recorded voices of the people who tell that story, here is CBS newsman Cameron Cornell. This is a story we like to think can't come close to us. Sure, I used heroin for about six months off and on, and I'm not sorry at all. It's a fine kick. The voice you just heard was that of an attractive teenage girl. She wasn't talking for the court records, but she was expressing something of the attitude among young people that's leading thousands toward a lifetime of illness and slavery. Slavery to narcotics. During this next half hour, we'll attempt to picture the seriousness of this threat here on our own West Coast. We're going to bring you the actual voices of teenage narcotics users and of those who know the most about this problem. The interviews and recorded statements you will hear were all obtained in the Los Angeles area, but the story is the same in every one of our cities. Lieutenant Ray Huber, who heads the narcotics squad of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, sizes up the situation this way. It seems to be that the trend uh, for these uh, peddlers is to concentrate on the teenager or the juvenile because he is an easy victim. They're thrill seekers. They're looking for something that is different. And uh, these peddlers are uh, always looking for someone like that and someone that they can get to buy these narcotics. The insidious thing about narcotics is that every user is a potential peddler. For every young addict today, there may be several a few months from now. Let's listen to a youngster of 17 explain how he started. Uh, the first time I ever used marijuana, I was uh, at a friend of mine's house, and uh, he said to me, uh, Hey, uh, would you like to try something a little new, a little different? That it, uh, Well, just something you ought to try once Maybe you've never tried it. And I asked him what it was, and he said marijuana. Well, I was I, I I wasn't leery of it, but I never tried it, so I was curious, and uh, so I smoked a couple sticks of it with him, and uh, well, it, I liked it. I I had drank before, and I knew what it was like to get drunk, and I liked getting high on marijuana much better, and I liked drinking. It was. Sometimes we'd go out at night and it, we'd, it'd just be something to look forward to with oh, a, a real happy thought, thinking, oh boy, I'm really going to get high tonight. And some One night we'd get high and the next night we'd just want to get twice as high and pretty soon we'd just be smoking it so much that we'd be just all fouled up. This high school boy didn't have any trouble getting his supply. I had this fellow that I knew that went by this high school. He came around there frequently, and uh, every time I saw him, I'd ask him, and uh, he'd usually sell it to me. That's, that's how I bought mine. Marijuana, especially, may be available at what seem the most unlikely places, at ice cream shops or hot dog stands, or the peddlers may hang out at the jive joints where the jazz is fast and loud. <laughs> Deputy Sheriff Tom Farrell gives us a brief description of a place in the southwestern Los Angeles suburb where 80 to 90 percent of the customers were kids and where four big marijuana peddlers were eventually arrested. It was located right in the heart of the city and on, during the weeknights and on weekends it was just 
loaded with kids. So many kids, you'd practically have to push your way into the place to get served. However, the big peddlers play it close to the vest in all their operations. Most of the selling is done by minor users. Ordinarily, they know their own source only by sight and a fictitious first name. Of course, once they're caught, most beginners are overwhelmed with regret. People are just idiots to do it. I mean, if they're going to get caught and go through what, you know, we're going through right now, all four of us. And I mean, like, I'm not admitting guilt or anything. Like, I'm not even saying I've ever smoked it, but I mean, I know, you know. And this is a usual story. Well, I've already quit. <laughs> I quit before they even picked me up. These are the reactions of kids who got caught. But still, some teenagers will try to insist marijuana itself is harmless. People have the wrong opinion uh, entirely. They think that it makes a criminal or a person of criminal tendencies, you know, but it doesn't. It makes you want to just uh, sleep. In fact, sometimes you just go to sleep after about a couple hours. Let's listen to Lieutenant Huber on that score. The drug marijuana is the most vicious form of drugs that is known. A person under the influence of marijuana may at any time go completely berserk and commit a murder. Perhaps an even more dangerous aspect of the smoking of marijuana is the fact that it all too often leads to addiction to the harder drugs, the opium derivatives such as heroin. It's true there is no actual link between the two. Marijuana doesn't make you want heroin. And chances are if you ask a confirmed heroin addict how he got started, There'll be a trace of a sneer in his voice if he tells you it was my first marijuana cigarette. Despite the sneer, Lieutenant Huber says the chances are he's telling you the truth. Most every narcotic addict that I have known in over 30 years' experience in this work has had his or her start with the use of marijuana. They start on it with the thought of it is not habit-forming and nothing will happen to them, but the person who continuously smokes marijuana gets a liking or a desire or a craving for that particular feeling that they experience. And after a while, the marijuana doesn't satisfy this feeling, so they're looking for something more potent, and then they are treading upon the threshold of destruction. Here's a short and tragic story of a pretty 20-year-old redhead. We found her in the county jail. Well, I was about 15 when I first started smoking marijuana, and was taking Benzedrine, too, so I could stay up all night and have the fun I wanted to and then try and go to school the next day. Well, it seemed like my boyfriend was, was using H at the time, so I guess that's actually how I got started, started using it and then got hooked. And with a heroin habit costing from $20 a day on up, the ultimate result... Well, in order to, to meet the demands of both of our habits together, my boyfriend was dealing, and I was hustling, too. And I started working as a car girl when I was 17. That story is repeated in case after case with variations on the same theme. This young man in his early 20s started smoking marijuana at 11. Well, it was uh, purely by accident how it first began. Uh, I was looking around for new kicks. Had been smoking weed for quite a while, and had heard quite a bit about heroin, and purely by accident, just took a chippy fix, 
for kicks. And here's a 19-year-old girl, daughter of a good family, who had the same idea. Well, this uh, friend of mine always had it, and he always seemed to enjoy himself. And Well, my arm wasn't twisted, so I just tried it. I, I kind of wanted to see what it would be like, that's all. But what about the parents of these young dope victims? What are they doing about it? Deputy Sheriff Tom Farrell has reached this conclusion. Parents usually don't know when they find out they just can't believe it. We're going to devote the next few minutes to the story of one mother and her struggle to save her son from the living death of heroin addiction. This young mother lives in the Los Angeles area. She had always considered herself unusually close to her son, but he started using heroin at 17. This is her story. Well, it was pretty close to three and a half years ago. Uh, when my, I first knew something was wrong, I couldn't put my finger on what it was. I knew that my son was not normal. But something was happening right under my nose, but I, I didn't know what it was. I was ignorant about the whole thing. Things started disappearing around the house, and I'd ask him, and he'd lie to me about it. Well, it had, I'd gone through practically everything my husband left me before I even knew what was happening. And then the boy told me, he came right out, told me. I had no understanding of the problem. Uh, I was intolerant of it in the first place, and I approached it all wrong. Instead of, of trying to understand his problem, I fought it, and built up his resentment against me. And... That's something I didn't learn until about a year later, until I had watched every process that he goes through. After he... Finally, I, I asked for federal help, and uh, the officer came down, and we worked on him for quite a long time, getting him to turn himself in for a cure at uh, Fort Worth. And uh, it took a long time. He was really hooked by then, and it, he had to turn himself in with a cap of heroin, and um, I went to great lengths to get him to turn himself in, even to going around and making these connections with him. I saw every phase of what it was doing for him then, even to asking him to wait till we got home, till he, sh till he uh, fixed so that I could see the reaction on it. I didn't want him to ever be able to fool me again. And finally, he was so far down that he had no place else to go. It was just like walking his last mile. I that he went into court and turned himself in to the federal officer. Went to court and was sentenced to Fort Worth for six months for cure. It was that dread of laying up there in the county jail. Cold turkey for those days it takes before they can get it out of their system enough to, before they go crazy. Because there, there isn't much help and he knew that there wouldn't be any uh, reduction on it. Um, he did six months in Fort Worth and um, he came Come time for him to return home and 
We'd made so many plans during the time that he was in Fort Worth, um, what we were going to do when he got out. And uh, my hopes soared, because I, both of us had worked on it pretty hard. He uh, walked in the door the night he came in on the plane, and he was loaded. He hadn't even waited until he got to El Paso. I guess he'd had six months, another six months wasted. I knew it was right back where it started again. In the meantime, money disappears. Everything. $25,000 don't cause me. It isn't the money. I tried to ignore the fact that I knew he was using again. But by then, I thought I had become crafty, but there's no outwitting somebody. Uh, it will give you just no idea that the means they'll employ, the ends they'll go to. They're, they're putting uh, uh, stuff before uh, themselves, decency, honesty, even God. They don't like to talk about God as a rule. They're pretty touchy on the subject of, of God because this thing is, uh, it's evil. Everything it touches is evil, and they realize that. My son told me one time, uh, I mentioned the fact that I had seen him one time asleep and knew he was jolted, as they say. I said it was the, the muscular, the, the, the look around your mouth. Uh, it was, it was kind of evil looking. And he said, Mother, junk is the most evil force in this world. Everything it touches, it makes it evil. It's awful. I've seen him lay on the bed, doubled up, sweating, eyes dilated, every muscle in his body just, just bent double, stomach cramps, yawning, nose running, just absolutely beat his head against the wall. Want of stuff. It isn't put on, it's real. Every time I hear that whistle of that PE train, that's, that's something that'll haunt me the rest of my days. I don't know why it would, but I, he just told me of jumping on the PE and making a connection here and a connection there. There's easy 50 between the PE station in Los Angeles and downtown Long Beach. I never saw this, but in my mind I can see it. A sick hype on his way up to make a connection. Sitting in one of the back seats of the PE so that nobody will see, maybe. Sitting all hunched over. His shoulders drawn down because his back aches. His eyes are tearing. Stomach's tearing out of him. Can't straighten his legs out, back of his legs, the muscles. And it's so important that they make that connection because he's a sick one then. The history of this case of addiction is still being written. Yes, this mother was finally successful in persuading her son to turn himself in for another enforced cure. He spent the past six months in custody. But he'll be out again soon. I don't know, just... 
what course I'm going to pursue when he does come out. He's in a pretty good mental frame of mind now. But that's not fooling me, because he's been in a good mental frame of mind before. I've had peddlers and users come to my house. He owes them money, anything to find out where he is. They know where he is now. The word was out for a while that he was dead, and I just let him think. He hasn't had a chance here before. I mean, actually, because he's known all these people, naturally they're going to come back into the picture. They're going to force their way back into it. Even if he was strong enough to keep away from it, they're going to make it their own good try to get him back on it again. Wave the stuff under his nose, and that's temptation. No one knows the danger of habit-forming drugs better than the past addict. Here is his most familiar statement. By way of the God, I'm not going to do it no more. I've had time to think it over, and I mean, it's brought me around to my senses. And those youngsters who've made only the first step toward addiction, who've smoked marijuana, are often just as prompt to voice their good intentions. From now on, I've left it alone. I'm not going to fool with it, and I'm going to just be a regular citizen like anybody else. And actually, no user of narcotics deliberately intended to become addicted. Well, I thought I could, uh, uh, I'll, you know, maneuver that. I didn't think that it would do me like that. See, I figured that I could, uh, I was much stronger. I wouldn't get addicted to it. I was just joy pop with it every now and then and wouldn't get addicted. Because uh, I had stronger willpower, you know, than the average person did. I figured they were just weak. But... There's nobody as strong as that heroin. Narcotics officers say there simply is no such thing as continued joy popping with heroin. Every user becomes an addict. Captain Francis Kearney of the Los Angeles Police Department's narcotics squad has boiled it down to a formula. We will assume that a person is normal, 100%, and he takes a shot of heroin. He would then go above normal. He would have a feeling of well-being. He hasn't a worry in the world. He would probably be about 15% above normal. But as the effects of the drug wears off, he doesn't go back to normal, but drops to a little below normal. Let us say about 95%. Uh, this would be somewhat comparable to uh, an alcoholic hangover. So he takes another shot, and he again gets a lift. But this time, to approximately 110%. And as the effects wear off, he drops down to about 90%. He takes another shot and gets back only to normal. On this occasion, there is no thrill. And right at this point, he has become an addict. When this shot wears off, he drops down to about 80% and then becomes panicky. He's really starting to get sick. So he begins to increase the dosage. And there is, from this point on, no further thrill. He has definitely become an addict and will spend the rest of his life using drugs, trying to get back to normal. Every addict is highly familiar with these scientific facts, but there are other things which seem more important, as this young woman bears out. 
it's something that's, you know, bigger than yourself. I mean, you know, you become like a slave to it. I mean, it's the only thing, you know, there's nothing else. Even yourself doesn't matter anymore. And I mean, that's, that's not right, is it? The drawling listlessness that goes with addiction becomes almost a habit of speech with some users. The young woman you just heard is a blue-eyed brownette, not necessarily from the South. When you're on stuff, well, when you start feeling like you're coming awake, you know, waking up again, well, you know, it's time for another joke because you don't want to wake up. It's just, you're awake and yet you're not. I mean, there's just, it's, it's not reality, that's all, it's all phony. But you think it's real great. This 20-year-old youth bears out her thinking. Later on, you start getting, so you just, all you think about is heroin, you know, just hooked. Anyone who finds himself in that state will do almost anything to get the drug he must have. Sheriff's Lieutenant Huber tells this story about a teenage boy addicted to heroin who had an auto accident and wound up in the hospital. They had to perform some kind of uh, surgery on his throat, and in this uh, operation it was necessary for the uh, doctor to place some kind of a tube. Uh, I don't know exactly whether it was silver or platinum or what it was, but some kind of a tube in this boy's throat so he could eat and breathe. And while he was in the hospital, one of these peddlers of narcotics, whom he had been buying from previously, uh, came to see him, and the young boy uh, wanted to get some narcotics again from this peddler, and he didn't have the money. So the peddler wanted $50 for the narcotics that he was going to supply the young man with, so the boy took this tube out of his throat and gave it to this peddler to hold. More often, though, the hype resorts to crime. Physically unable to work, he may turn to peddling the drug he uses, to pandering, or to thievery. This brief question and answer session tells part of this story. How much did you finally build up to? About $200 a day. How did you raise money like that? Right now I'm not at liberty to say that. The young woman we heard from a moment ago is a little more talkative and a little more philosophical. Then when I robbed this guy, well, I never would have robbed him if I hadn't have been on dope. When, when you're on that, nothing seems wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like I would take from you. Well, I would say, well, it's not wrong that I take from you because I'm sick. You're not sick, you know? It actually takes an old hype, a lifetime addict, to give us perspective on the life of a dope user. This man is 54 years old. He looks much older. I've been using narcotics for the last 35 years. Since starting off in the reform school, at my age now, I think I spent about about 15 years in jails and, you know, in the federal places. I never went on the heavy stuff, what you call hold-ups and that, but they have. There's a lot of some of the users, there's some of the best professional men in the country, like pickpockets and uh, shape men, you know, or boxmen and all that. As far as uh, is working, it's an awful hard to hold out, hold down a, any kind of a job when you're using any kind of a drugs. You're always on the go, trying to get out, see what you can get a hold of to steal or whatever. You get, you know, to make money easy to, without working, to get the drugs. Even while they're in jail, while they're resolving every day to stay away from this stuff. Heroin users know what they're up against. 
I know as soon as I get out, if I go back around my same surroundings, that somebody's going to offer me a jolt, but I'm, I don't intend to go around those parts of town anymore, I hope. Of course, addicts do kick the habit on occasion, usually when they wind up in jail. But most narcotics officers will tell you they don't know of a single case in which a confirmed heroin addict has permanently rid himself of the narcotics curse. Each time an addict picks up the habit again, he knows, though he tries not to think about it, that he'll eventually find himself cut off from the drug on which he lives, that he'll have to endure once more the torture of withdrawal. Dr. Marcus E. Crayon, physician at the Los Angeles County Jail, tells what happens. Without the support of this narcotic, they suddenly become very ragged from the standpoint of nerves, they become physically exhausted, they become dehydrated, desiccated, they have nausea, vomiting, sometimes diarrhea, they have a marked tremor, their eyes stare out of their heads, and they are very physically sick people. Sometimes they're so sick that they attempt suicide. This is a sound that may be unpleasant to any law violator. To a hype, it's one of unspeakable terror. The sound of a jail door closing. To the addict, that sound means he must kick the habit. Cold turkey. Here's one of them during the agony of withdrawal. <laughs> Nothing on my stomach at all. It's so weak. I can't even eat and sleep. I just go to sleep for ten minutes. Ten minutes. Just to get ten minutes sleep. The sale of narcotics to children is a fairly new trend, but the men who traffic in drugs are businessmen as well as lawbreakers. There's a tremendous profit in narcotics. A single kilo, 33 ounces of heroin, can be split into capsules, cut and sold for close to $70,000. And the dealers don't care whether their outlet's an illegal house, a graveyard, or a school. Narcotics officers have found the juvenile problem one of the most difficult they face. Being adults, it's not easy for them to mingle with teenagers. Captain Kearney of the Los Angeles Police Department has decided... The best place to get help is going to be from the uh, teenagers themselves. They, they must realize that a person who has become addicted to the use of drugs, regardless of any cures, will be a potential addict for life. In fact, it's, in effect, uh, in my term, a, a living death. Uh, takes its place alongside of uh, cancer and polio as a very serious disease. Those seeking a solution agree on two courses of action. Provide more facilities for treating those who've already fallen victim to drugs and somehow cut off the supply of dope at its source. Both heroin and marijuana are coming into this country from Mexico. Smuggling of drugs across the Latchley Patrol border is a simple matter. But even more heroin right now is coming from the East Coast, smuggled into this country from Europe and Asia. 
And in the direction from which that drug is coming, some experts see a terrifying significance. During the last war, the Japanese used opium to help subjugate the Chinese. Now this word has come to Lieutenant Huber. I uh, received a bit of information just recently from a friend of mine who is uh, over in the Asiatic countries, and he writes and tells me that in this particular area, they have at the present time, ready for distribution, 500 tons of raw opium. Lieutenant Huber adds this thought, rather than do without his drug, a narcotic addict would betray his country. Listening to A Dance with Death, a special recorded news report on juvenile narcotics addiction. A Dance with Death was reported, edited, and narrated by Cameron Cornell of the CBS News staff. Frank Goss speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network.